During my time when I was studying to be a priest, I got to spend some time in Rome. So I learned some Italian. It didn't get amazing. My Italian was never perfect, but I did learn some, some Italian. And uh, I learned some words that I really enjoy even to this day. And one of my favorite Italian words is this, and I'd like to share this with you. It's the word furbo, furbo, which means sneaky or clever or conniving, furbo. Someone is furbo if they're very clever or sneaky. The manager that we hear about in today's gospel would be called furbo. He's very sneaky. He hears that he's about to get fired, so he devises this scheme in order to make sure he'll be taken care of when he's fired. All the people who are indebted to his master he brings forward and basically cancels their debts. And in the end, he is praised, not because he did a great thing, but because he was sneaky, he was furbo. In today's gospel, Jesus praises this man the way he has acted in order to make a statement or a lesson about stewardship or something we could describe as divine economics. So Jesus in the gospel, kind of in one sentence, highlights the main message of the gospel. Jesus says, Make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth. What is Jesus getting at here? Well, it would probably be helpful, I think, maybe to think a little bit about what things were like at the time of Jesus. So in Greco-Roman culture, money or transactions would create ties with other people that were called friendship. So when Jesus is using the term friendship here, he isn't necessarily referring to people we get along with, people we'd like to go see a movie with or go out to lunch with. These are not the kinds of friends that are necessarily being discussed. When transactions were made, when money was changed hands, when someone gave money to another person, that person would be called their friend and would owe them something in return. So when you gave of something, you expected something in return, maybe some services, some favors in advance, or even just to receive honor and praise. So that's what it meant to make friends. And what is Jesus getting at with dishonest wealth? Well, at the time of Jesus, like today, there's certainly people who work hard for their money and their money is well earned. At the same time, we know today, as at Jesus's time, that sometimes people come into a lot of money that maybe isn't necessarily honest or well-earned. It could be just matters of inheritance. You happen to be born at the right time in the right place. So Jesus is saying, or he's getting at this, referring to this practice at the time where people would use their money in order to get something from somebody else. Jesus is wanting us to think a bit differently, kind of to think about a kind of divine economics of things. Rather than using money in order to make friends for ourselves, in order to get things in return, Jesus in the gospel today encourages us to use our money, and we'll see we can expand this to time and talents as well, in order to serve people from whom we can expect nothing in return. So Jesus wants us to kind of challenge this way of thinking that was common at the time, that you give in order that the hopes to receive something in return, but rather we are to give to the poor, we are rather to give to those who are outside our social kind of connections to broaden our relationships, ultimately to create networks of connections, networks of friends who are marginalized from us, from whom we can expect nothing in return. Whenever I hear this gospel, it strikes me as a bit of a divine money laundering scheme. 
Use what you have in order to aid yourself in the future, right? And throughout history, there's been people who have taken very seriously this idea of using this kind of, uh, what did Jesus call this, dishonest wealth in order to make friends. People who have taken very literally almost this divine economy. And one example that comes to mind, and you might have heard it before, um, is the example of Alfred Nobel. So we've all heard of the Nobel Prize, I think, right? So the story of Alfred Nobel, maybe you've heard it, is very, very fascinating. So in 1888, Alfred Nobel was sitting there at, at his table reading the newspaper. And I can just imagine, I don't know exactly what time of day, but I imagine having like a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, leafing through the newspaper. And he opened up to the obituaries. And wouldn't you know it, Alfred Nobel found his own obituary there in the newspaper. So he started to read what people were writing about him, thinking he was dead. Of course, this was a mistake. It wasn't Alfred Nobel who had died, but it was actually his brother who had passed away, and the newspaper got kind of the information wrong. So they wrote this obituary about Alfred Nobel. And Alfred Nobel made his money as a scientist. He was kind of an inventor, and he made a lot of money because he invented dynamite. And of course, dynamite has many different purposes. You can use it in construction, blasting railroads. But dynamite, of course, was also used for war at this time, for weaponry. So when Alfred Nobel that day in France opened up the obituary to read it, the title of the obituary was the following. The merchant of death is dead. The merchant of death is dead. So imagine this man is sitting there and he reads his obituary. And this is how he was being judged by people. Basically, it was a scathing account of his life that yes, he had invented this dynamite, but he had basically gotten this fortune that led people to be killed. So slaughter led him to make money. And Alfred Nobel was deeply unsettled by this. He did not want this to be his legacy. He did not want this to be how he was remembered. So he decided then and there to use his fortune, which was vast, in order to do good in the world in order to promote the common good. And he founded the Nobel Peace Prize, which was to be conferred, as it says in the Peace Prize website, on the person who has caused the greatest benefit to humankind. So Alfred Nobel then used his, his wealth, we could say even here he used his dishonest wealth from selling dynamite to create a true legacy of peace throughout the world. He really thought long and hard about how he wanted to be remembered and how he wanted to use his wealth. So he's one very clear example of someone who's followed very literally almost this sort of divine money laundering scheme, this divine economics. And we in our lives aren't called necessarily to do this, but we are called to put into practice the lesson we find towards the end of the gospel, the lesson that we're all called to be good stewards. Stewardship is such a fundamental lesson or theme throughout the entire Bible. We can already see it in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapters 2 and 3, Adam and Eve are placed in a garden. They're placed in this garden to be good stewards of this creation God has given them. They're called actually to be co-creators. Adam and Eve receive different talents, different gifts, and they're called to use it well for the benefit of all people. We too are called to good stewardship, and this is the message of the gospel today. We have all received talents from God, treasures from God, and time from God. We're called to use our time, treasures, and talents 
to serve other people, to make friends among all people. So we're called to use these benefits we've received from the Lord in order to help those people from whom we can receive nothing in return, those people on the margins, and those people who are really outside of our normal social circumstances, our normal social life that we would consider people we'd normally want to get along with. And this ultimately is an expression of agape love, this love that gives without counting the cost, a love that gives without expecting anything in return. We're all called in the gospel ultimately to be good stewards from what we receive from the Lord. In that sentence I read that summarizes the lesson I think of this gospel, there's an image that I find both beautiful and challenging. So Jesus again says, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. So I find this image very striking. Jesus is basically picturing a scene that after we die, we're kind of going into the kingdom of God for all eternity, and we're going to be welcomed by people. And we can imagine that the people who are welcoming us are those that we've given things to in our life, those we've served without the hope of receiving anything in return. When I consider this, it's really a challenge for me. It kind of really challenges me. I can find it a bit disturbing at times. When I picture this, what would that group of people look like? Would it be small? Would it be large? Who would I want to see there welcoming me into the eternal homes? So perhaps then we can consider this beautiful image that Jesus leaves us with at the end of today's gospel. At the end of my life, at the end of our life, who do we want to see welcoming us? We recall that those people who will ultimately welcome us are those who we've given to without hope of return, those to whom we've shown generosity, those to whom we've been good stewards.